This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. I'd like to bring forward some a little bit higher concepts because over the years in working on this program, I've realised that sometimes you need to kind of summarise. And you need to kind of set that as a baseline so that progress can be made from there on. And that's what I'm attempting to do today. And that is bring about a kind of baseline that these are the subjects we've been covering for the last few years. And we want to look ahead a little bit and look a little bit deeper into our eternal position and the essence of the instructions in the Vedic literature, specifically for lifting you to a much a higher platform, a stabler position of perspective. Uh, many of you are well aware you're not your bodies. Many of you are well aware this material manifestation is a place of suffering and anxiety. Uh, many of you are aware that this is a temporary position we are in that is not our eternal reality. And these have been covered, these subjects have been covered repeatedly on our program from different points of view for you to get perspective. Now, as you know, the Vedic literature is vast, to say the least. And it is all comprised by completely self-realized souls who are engaged in the service of the Lord and under the Lord's plan. And they are specifically uh, entrusted with the responsibility to protect the Vedic literature from adulteration. The whole idea is that the Vedic literature has not been subjected to what many other scriptures have been subjected to, which has altered them. And let's be honest, uh, man can't create absolute knowledge in his temporary condition. And so the only thing that man can really do to a uh, scripture that emanates from uh, the transcendental platform is he can degrade it. That's about all he can do. And the Vedic literature has a very uh, systematic method of protecting the Vedic literature from that attack because... There's no sense in delivering to you half the information, half the truth, uh, a partial perspective. For any intelligent person, for any common person, to be able to change his life, he requires an overview. He requires a complete perspective. He needs to see how, okay, you say this applies over here, but does it apply over there and there and there? Well, the answer, because of the Vedic literature's thoroughness and depth, the answer is an unequivocal yes. That every aspect of your life is affected when you come out of material consciousness and enter into spiritual consciousness. When you come out of selfishness and enter into selflessness. When you recognize yourself to have a duty to the Supreme Lord and not just to be absorbed in trying to enjoy as the goal of life. So the Vedic literature is protected by a line of spiritual masters, saints and sages, repeatedly through the centuries protecting the Vedic literature from adulteration. This is one of the primary concerns around the Vedic literature from the Lord's perspective. Because the Lord has a compassionate relationship to all living entities. And from that perspective, when someone uh, achieves the platform where they want to know, tell me, help me, and the sincerity is there, the Lord is uh, duty-bound, shall we say, mercy-bound, to provide that information to that inquisitive person. And he's not going to provide some 
He's going to give it to you completely so that you can fill in all the different perspectives and aspects of your life in proper perspective so you can become fixed in the new point of view. You know, there's many people who have had uh, moments, epiphanies, uh, spontaneous uh, illuminations, and they fade. But that's not what Vedic literature is about. It's not some uh, clap your hands and you're different. It's about uh, actually growing up. It's about maturing in your consciousness, your intelligence, your perspective, your attitude, your self-control, all in such a way that you actually form another conception of life. You actually form another perspective. You actually stay fixed with that new outlook. And because of that new outlook, you then are empowered to alter your life and its course and to have a completely different level of input to everyone around you and your contribution to the society. So without uh, the Vedic literature being thorough and complete, guess what? Neither can you be. You end up with difficulties because I don't understand this. Uh, that hasn't been answered. This doesn't fit in. That seems to be contradictory. All these different things that keep you from forming firm faith in your new perspective. And one gradually gravitates and falls down. The other aspect is that there are so many, 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 many people who still have the materialistic conception of life and they always try to drag you back into that perspective. Well, doesn't this matter? No, it doesn't matter. In the real scheme of things, from the big picture, those kind of issues don't matter. And this is part of what development of your spiritual consciousness is. You have to form proper detachment. Attachment for what is beneficial to you and detachment for what is detrimental to you. And you need that clear definition and understanding for you to be able to sort out the goods and the bads, the rights and the wrongs, the what's good for me. So the Vedic literature is intended to make that clear. And the saints and sages protect that literature such that when you read it, it becomes clear. And you're encouraged to make association with other beings who have seen that, read that, understood that, have formed this new perspective of life as an overview of the struggle for existence we see society constantly going through. So today I'm going to bring you through... Um, well, I guess I'd say a, a pretty heavy synopsis. But I think it could be very uplifting to those of you who've listened to our program repeatedly and understand some of the basics we preach here. And get a conception of an overview to kind of summarize some of this. And get a hold on your own perspective. You get an opportunity to see it from that different point of view afresh, in summary, to help you Hang on to it to help you uh, crystallize it into your perspective of life. Because that's what it's really about. We are trying to lift ourselves to a purified conception, a purified perspective. It's not new, and it's not mine, and it's not yours when you get there. It's not the next guy's when he gets there. It's the absolute perspective of reality, as opposed to the artificial understanding of the, this material temporary circumstances we're in. So, um, I have to be honest, I have to do a little bit of translating as I go through this, um, such that I don't use any big words and try to leave anything un unrealized by you. So if I stammer here or there, please excuse me. But let me try to give this to you um, for the good of everybody's conscious understanding of 
how to see reality from illusion. So, what we're going to discuss here is the Bhagavad Gita, because the Bhagavad Gita was the spoken conversation of the Lord to his devoted friend to help him out of a significantly difficult trial, a confrontational trial, dilemma. And that is what we are all in. We are all in dilemmas every day, all sorts of things. And they become more and more serious and they're uh, more difficult to cope with at different stages of life. So this instruction is applicable to not only the Lord's friend in this story, but also you and I. Because we're all sharing the same predicament. So the Bhagavad Gita was spoken by Lord Sri Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, and it is the essence of all Vedic literature because it is nicely presented and summarized by the Lord himself. Because so uh, few of us have the time to go through the vast Vedic literature like the Upanishads, the Puranas, and the Vedanta Sutra, the Brahma Samhita, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's put within the uh, great epic of the Mahabharata. And in there the Lord speaks this especially prepared for the less intelligent class. Now, because of the education system and because of our society, we are all classified in the less intelligent class. We're not actually scholars. So the problem which arose in the heart of Arjuna on the battlefield was solved by the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. And after the departure of the Lord from the vision of the earthly people, when Arjuna was faced with another issue that would vanquish his power or prominence, he wanted to remember those great teachings that he received from the Lord in the form of Bhagavad Gita. And it was to teach everyone that the Bhagavad Gita can be consulted in critical times, not only for solstice from all kinds of agonies, but for the way out of the great entanglements which embarrass us at a critical hour. So the Lord mercifully left behind him the great teachings of the Bhagavad Gita so that any one of us can take the instructions of the Lord even when he's not visible to our material eyes. The material senses cannot have any estimation of the Supreme Lord, but by his inconceivable power, the Lord can incarnate himself to the sense perception of us fallen conditioned souls in a suitable way through the agency of material matter which is simply another form of the Lord's energies. So in Bhagavad Gita, which is the authentic scriptural sound representation of the Lord because he directly spoke it, it is also considered an incarnation of the Lord. There's no difference between the speaking of the Lord and the Lord himself because one can derive the same benefit from Bhagavad Gita as Arjuna did in his personal presence. So a faithful human being who is desirous of being liberated from the clutches of material existence can very easily take advantage of the Bhagavad Gita and with this view, the Lord instructed Arjuna for the benefit of everyone. So in the Bhagavad Gita, five important factors of knowledge have been delineated which pertain to, one, the Supreme Lord, two, the living beings, three, nature, four, time and space, and five, the processes of activities. Out of these, the Supreme Lord and the living entities are qualitatively one. 
There is no difference between the two, and this has been analyzed from dif- for the difference between the whole and the part and parcel. Now, I'll interject here by saying you are well aware from our program <clears throat> that the Lord is an eternal spiritual conscious being and has a human form. And we are a minute infinitesimal part and parcel of the Lord, and we have taken a material body in a human form. And the difference between us is that we are in a temporary body. The Lord is not. But otherwise, we are both eternally, live, eternally conscious living beings. One is like the whole, the greater living being, the supreme personality of Godhead. And the other is you and I as infinitesimal small particles. Just like there's the sun and then there's the rays of the sun. We are more compared to the individual rays and the Lord is considered uh, as compared excuse me, to the uh, sun globe or sun potency. So nature is inert matter. And it displaying the interaction of nature in three modes. And eternal time and unlimited space are considered to be beyond the existence of material nature. Activities of the living beings are of different varieties according to the aptitudes of the entrapped or liberated living beings within or without material nature. All these subject matters are concisely discussed in the Bhagavad Gita. And the, the subject matters are further elaborated on in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the topmost Vedic literature. So out of these five subjects, the Supreme Lord, the living entity, nature, and time and space are eternal. But the living entities, nature, and time are under the direction of the Supreme Lord, who is absolute and completely independent of any other control. The Supreme Lord is the Supreme Controller. The material activities of the living beings is beginningless, but it can be rectified by transferal into the spiritual quality. Thus, it can be it, it can be uh, excuse me. Thus, it can cease its material qualitative reactions. That means you can be freed from the karmic influences that one action creates. If you do an action, you create a reaction, and this taken on a larger scale. You perform a lifetime of activities and then you take another birth to receive the results of those activities. And how you react and respond and etc. to those activities determines the next life and the next etc. etc. And you thereby earn your next life by your conscious activity and uh, um, motivations, desires. Okay. So, the idea is to rectify this cycle of action and reaction such that you're no longer in the material manifestation and you return to the eternal manifestation. Not the temporary any longer. You return to the spiritual manifestation. So, both the Lord and the living entities are conscious living beings and both have the sense of identification as being living force. But the living entities that are under the conditions of this material world misidentifies himself as being different from the Lord. The whole scheme of the Vedic wisdom is targeted at the aim of eradicating this misconception 
and liberating the living entities from the illusion of material identification. When such an illusion is eradicated by knowledge and renunciation, the living being are responsible actors and employers only. They are liberated from this manifestation. Now, I want to cover this here that, that knowledge and renunciation is mentioned. This means you have to have it explained to you. That is what we discussed about the Vedic literature a moment ago. It is the opportunity to understand things in proper perspective. And renunciation, as I touched on a moment ago, that you must renounce those things that are not significant. They are born simply of body identification. They are temporary in nature. They are superfluous to the path of life you're on. They're simply distractions, time wasters, insignificance, etc. And that list can get, well, larger than you would expect. Because on the big scale of things, many of the attachments we have to possessions and even family, country, city, these things are not very important at all on the bigger scale of things if you recognize you had thousands of families and lived in unknown number of countries or cities or whatever. So you become detached from those temporary aspects and perspectives and you become knowledgeable about the eternal platform and what is eternal life and what a cognizant living being is supposed to perform as his duty in the transcendental perspective. So the sense of enjoyment in the Lord is real. But the same sense in the living beings is a sort of a wishful desire. The difference in, in consciousness is the distinction of the two identities, namely the Lord and the living being. So what we're talking about here is there is two different consciousness levels, one being who is actually able to enjoy as the controller, owner, proprietor, director of everything and who wants to enjoy things because he desires to do it but doesn't have the capacity to, the living entities. So the difference is in the conscious distinction there. But the two identities, the Lord and the living entities, otherwise there's no difference between them. The living being is therefore eternally one and simultaneously different from the Lord. So the whole instruction of the Bhagavad Gita stands on this principle. Now, I want to uh, elaborate on this briefly because this is called the sublime philosophy of the Vedic knowledge. It is a philosophy where simultaneously you're one thing and simultaneously you're a different thing. And it's inconceivable how you can be those two things from the different perspectives at the same time. But because it's on a spiritual platform and manifests through into the material manifestation, we see as contradictory. But from a spiritual perspective, looking at this, these positions, it's not contradictory at all. So this is the root platform that the Bhagavad Gita is spoken of as the principle. We are simultaneously one with and different from the Lord. Because we share the eternal nature. We share cognizance of uh, consciousness. We share goals, desires, and perspectives of life. But we do not share the potency. So we have all the characteristics that the Lord has, and qualities, and possibilities, and etc. 
but we have such a small quantity of them that we're not able to realize them in the capacity that the Lord can. So we have them and we're the same, but we can't exhibit them the same, so we're different. This philosophy is true in many different levels of spiritual life. And if you come to understand this perspective, many things of your existence, your eternal uh, reality, all become clear when this simultaneously one and different perspective is used to sort it out. So in the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord and the living beings are both described as eternal. And the Lord's abode beyond this material sky, the eternal existence, is also called Sanatana. One cannot, however, reach the eternal abode of the Lord without being free from the misconception of his material identification. And the Bhagavad Gita gives us a clue how to achieve this stage of perfection. The process of being liberated from the misconception of material identification in different stages is called first fruitive activities, then empirical philosophical speculation, and then devotional service up to full transcendental realization. Such transcendental realization is made possible by dovetailing all of the above items in the relation with the Lord. Prescribed duties for the living beings, as directed in the Vedic knowledge, can gradually purify the sinful mind of the conditioned soul and raise him to the stage of true knowledge. The purified stage of acquiring knowledge becomes the basis of devotional service to the Lord. As long as one is engaged in researching the solution to the problems of life, he is called a mental speculator, or looking for purified knowledge. But on realizing the actual solution of life, one becomes situated in devotional service to the Lord. The Bhagavad Gita begins with the problems of life by discriminating the soul from the elements of matter and proves by all reason and argument that the soul is indestructible in all circumstances and that the outer covering of matter, the body, and the mind change from another term of material existence to the next term of material existence. So this is our position. We have to recognize our bodily situation as temporary, and the solution is to understand things through knowledge and renunciation, and come to the platform of engaging in devotional service. Devotional service means cooperating with the plan of the Supreme, not concocting your own plan for satisfying desires, but following and being involved in what is the Lord's plan and contributing your capabilities, resources, faith, determination, sincerity in that plan. This is devotional service, and it can be performed as soon as the consciousness is changed. And this Vedic literature is specifically designed to give you that perspective where your consciousness changes and you're able to maintain the new perspective. So this is what the Vedic literature has been working up to in our programs of giving you these basis and background and building blocks whereby you can see out of your material predicament and get a glimpse, a grasp, an understanding of the transcendental perspective of life, the transcendental reality. And this is where the Bhagavad Gita comes in as that discussion, that speech, specifically intended for all of the facets of material life to be expressed, explained, cleared up, such that you can freely, selflessly, humbly, with determination and enthusiasm, 
engage in the devotional service of the Lord because you now know what the Lord's plan is. Not totally, but you know what the plan is for you. And you know how to execute that plan and put an end to the miseries of existence in the material world and prepare yourself to return to the Sanatana eternal spiritual sky in association with the Lord, which is where we find the happiness every one of us is looking for. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.